Annoyed Lemon here. Context police, guys. Woo, 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 woo. I'm back. I'm back for another week's episode. And you know what? Shit is all screwed up. It's all screwed up because I was sitting here getting ready to prepare to talk about Andy Cohen's new book, like I've been saying for several episodes now. And I got sidelined by something again because I forgot. That the fucking Anna Nicole Smith documentary on Netflix was coming out. I forgot. And it's out. It's out. And I freaking watched it. And it was mind-blowing. Now, so this week is going to be about Anna Nicole Smith. I'm sorry, Andy Cohen, and your book, Daddy Diaries. It was entertaining. Book is funny. You know, his books are entertaining. But maybe it's not meant to be. Maybe it's not meant to be. We got to follow the signs. And the signs are telling me I go with my gut and I don't want to talk about Andy Cohen right now. I want to talk about Anne Nicole Smith's documentary. Okay. Andy, we'll get to your book. I don't know. At some point right now, I'm talking about Anne Nicole Smith. Now, listen, I got a quick little story to tell before we get into the documentary. After Anne Nicole passed and her daughter, the little girl, was with the father, remember there was a custody battle. We're going to get into this whole thing. And the father's name was, that they thought he felt was the father, was the blonde-haired guy. Uh, I think his name was Larry. Jesus Christ. Hold on. I'm going to Google it while I'm on the phone. Hold on, because I got a good story. Hold on, guys. Sorry. I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. Larry, what the hell is his name? Burkhead! Larry Burkhead! <laughs> That's his name. Right, so Larry Burkhead, you know him? Well, about, a, I don't know, six, eight, maybe ten months after his death. Me, this is a true motherfucking story. Me, my mother, my stepsister, um, her husband, her little kids, they were babies at the time. I didn't have no babies at the time. I was in between marriages, all right? We were at the Atlantis in the Bahamas. And this was when the Atlantis was like really, really nice. Like if you go there now, it's kind of a shit show. It's expensive still, but it's a shit. But anyways, this was in the beginning when it first, you know, so we're at the Atlantis and we're chilling at the pool. And this whole whirlwind with Anna Nicole had been going on and the death and the custody battle of the two men and all this stuff over the daughter um, and I'm sitting at the pool and the daughter's name, sorry, was, uh, Daniel Lynn and sitting at the pool. And I say to my mother, that's fucking Larry Burkhead over there with the little girl Anna Nicole Smith's daughter. And my mother's like, get the fuck out of here. And I say to my stepsister, I'm like, her name's Maria. I'm like, Maria, look at her. That's Larry Burkhead over there. Isn't that Larry Burkhead? Cause my mother, you know, I knew my, my stepsister would know. She's like, holy shit, that is, that's Larry Burkett. Now, if you know, Anna Nicole Smith lived her last years of her life in the Bahamas. She loved Bahamas. I'm like, that's fucking Larry Burkett right there. And my stepsister was like in the pool with her kids, was around the same age as Daniel Lynn. And they were like playing with each other. And then my, they started talking naturally. We didn't like go up to him like, you're Larry Burkett. You know, we, it organically happened because the kids were playing in the water 
and we talked to him a bit. We didn't really ask about Anna or nothing, but he did express how, you know, he's a single dad and how it's hard. And he said, I don't know if you recognize who I am. And my stepsister, I didn't talk much. My stepsister's like, because I didn't have the kids. She had the kids. So I let her, you know, bond with him in a parent parental way. And she's like, yes, we, you know, we know who you are, but we want to give you space. We just want to know we're praying for you. And it's a tragedy. And it was a very nice exchange. And he was very good with the daughter and playing with her. And they, we had lunch. Why he was in the Atlantis, I don't know, girl. I don't know why he was in the Atlantis. We didn't ask that question. I don't know where he was living. with the kid. We don't know. We didn't get too deep into it. But. It was a very pleasant day of watching him. He was very tender, moment-hearted, and like playing with her. And that was while this shit storm was going on. So, it always has a special place in my heart. I mean, always I was intrigued by, of course, Anna Nicole Smith and her story. But ever since we witnessed that, it's always like touches me when I hear something about her or who I always listen now more than I normally would because of that moment we watch. So. When it came out that I knew there was a documentary coming out on Netflix, but I wasn't paying attention to like the dates. And then over the weekend was like, it's out. I'm like, oh, shit. And so I watched it and it was fantastic. So now I'm, we're going to go into it next. We're going into it. I'm sorry. Like I said, I'm sorry, Andy Cohen. <laughs> I'm sorry. But we got to talk about Anna Nicole Smith's documentary on Netflix. All right. So. Uh, right after this little blip and the Netflix, uh, the documentary is called. Uh, you don't know me, Anna Nicole Smith, and it's only on Netflix. All right. So if you don't have the Netflix, I'm sorry, but I'm, we're going to talk all about what happened next coming up. Okay, guys, I'm sorry for the change in program again. But you know how we do this? You know, we got to keep with the times here. Right. So that's what we're doing. All right. Let's get into it. So let's get started. The Anna Nicole Smith documentary on Netflix, You Don't Know Me. Okay, here we go. We start out the documentary in Anna Nicole Smith's hometown of Mejia, Texas, M-E-X-I-A, not pronounced Mexica, it's Mejia. And Anna Nicole Smith, Anna Nicole is not her real name. It's really Vicky Lynn, if you didn't know, that's her real name. So she grew up there in Mexico, Texas, and listen, I don't know what it's like in this town now, but I'm going to tell you what it was like then. This is, you know, 80s and stuff. It was a shit show. Please don't take offense. I mean, there was, there's nothing. It looked abandoned back then in the 80s. I don't know what it looks like today. Maybe it's better. I don't know. Nothing. Nothing for fucking miles in the middle of Texas in the Bible Belt. There ain't nothing going on in this small town. It looked dilapidated. I'm sorry to say that, but it's the truth. And why I'm saying this is, this is what she was brought up in. Nothing. People scraping by. No opportunity. Nothing. Zip. Nothing going on, right? So this is where she grows up. She was raised with her mother and her stepfather, though she didn't spend a ton of time there. As she got older, she went to the aunt and uncle's house a lot. And she doesn't love, she never really loved talking about her childhood from the time with the mother and the stepfather. 
So there's not a lot known because obviously if you didn't know, Anna Nicole Smith is not on this planet anymore. She passed away in 2007. I don't know if, if maybe you have no idea who the fuck I'm talking about. Girl, if you don't know who Anna Nicole Smith is, I'm just realizing maybe people don't know. She was an American model, actress, superstar that like skyrocketed literally overnight into fame. You can Google the rest. So anyways, she didn't love living with the mother. She didn't love talking about her childhood. The mother was in law enforcement. as a police officer. Anna Nicole had said to friends and people that was highly abusive, the mother, handcuff her to beds to keep her for days at a time in the room so she couldn't leave the house, physically abusing her, stuff like that. So she would flip-flop between the aunt and uncle's house and the mother's house. And as she became a teenager, she was much more at the aunt and uncle's house than the mother's, which she preferred to be with the aunt and uncle more than with the mother, okay? As a little girl, she was nice. She got along. She had friends, but not a ton. She wasn't a very popular kid. She wasn't a very well-liked kid and in fact in some cases there was some bullying and things going on um so she was alone a lot the uncle remembers she would play in the front yard do little cheerleading dances twirl the baton she loved attention she loved to perform she loved to get attention from people as she became a teenager okay she was growing into like a beautiful woman. You could see even as a child, the photos of her, she was a beautiful, naturally beautiful kid. And so she got to be a teen. Now she's getting the attention of not only teen boys, but men. Okay. Men in this small ass fucking town in Texas. She worked in this fried chicken place for a few years as a teenager. Fried chicken place in the town. And the men of the town would come and gawk at her and flirt with her and blah, 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 blah with her. You know, you can imagine. And her uncle remembers it was always a problem with these men being infatuated with her. And sometimes her sneaking out to go be with him. He remembers in one case, there was a 29-year-old man that was infatuated with her. And she was infatuated back with him. As a teen, 29-year-old man. And so he's like, I had to screw the windows shut because she would escape in the night. And I had to do that because I knew that if she tried to escape, I would hear it if it was screwed shut. So she was, you know, she had a rough childhood, but also she wanted out. She was like, you ever have a dog that, not that I'm comparing her to an animal, but you ever have a dog that's just like constantly fucking running away, jumping fences, running, and running, and run. I used to have a husky. And one day somebody said to me, that dog just it doesn't want to be here. <laughs> it wants to go and roam free in the woods. Not that I let the dog do that, but I'm just saying that was like with Anna. She was in this small town. There was no opportunity. She was this big personality. And she was like, get me out. I don't like to be captivated. Probably because the mother would tie her up to the bed and keep her. She was always being kept, you know, whatever. So while she's working in this fried chicken place, she meets a guy that works there with her, a teenager. 
And this guy's not so impressed with her. She's used to these men wherever she goes, walking through the mall, whoever, all these men following her. And this kid's not. And she asks him one night, can you give me a ride home? And he's like, no, I can't. And she was like, he said, no. She couldn't accept that this teenage boy, like there's a guy that's declining her. So of course, that made her want him more because he was like not obsessed with her, like every other guy there. She winds up marrying him. 17. They were both young. Because what the fuck else do you do in that town except get married young? I don't know what they, obviously they were legally allowed at that time. Maybe still, I don't know. She wasn't pregnant. That's not why they got married. She just thought, I love him, let's get married. Because what the fuck else do you do there, right? So she goes, they get married. They're very much in love with each other. She liked that he wasn't so like, you know, at first she thought obsessed with her. But then it quickly turns into this weird, like, you know, he was jealous. He was jealous of everything and anyone that spoke to her, of course, because isn't that what happens with pretty young women? The men can't handle them when other people talk. to them. So he, he would keep her locked in the house. He'd say, don't go anywhere. She'd be alone, home alone all day. She didn't have the car. She couldn't go nowhere alone by herself. 17, married. This is the life. So she thinks, if I have a kid... I'll never be alone again because I'll always have my kid there with me. So she takes her birth control pills and flushes them down the toilet because she's like, I'm going to get pregnant. And she does. And she has her child, Daniel. Now, they don't really get into when the marriage ended. I could go into the Wikipedias and find all that shit out, but it didn't last very long. As you could imagine, being married at 17 doesn't last long, right? And finally, at some point when, when, you know, 18 comes around, as many kids do, at least back then, the kids today, they don't want to ever leave home. But back then, they, she split and she goes to Houston, Anna Nicole, she brings her son, Daniel, with her. Now, Houston was booming at this time with all these oil tycoons, right? All this money in the 80s, late 80s being made from the freaking oil in Texas, you know. And so there was a lot of money going on in Houston and there was a lot of strip clubs and male entertainment places because of the money not just well because yeah and she walks in one day around 18 years old into the strip club and a woman that's been working there for a while that knows the rope sees her walk in and thinks oh god look at this innocent one and she says the woman Anna was immediately off the bat naturally beautiful which was something you don't always get with people, right? And she knew the other women there, the other dancers and entertainers, saw her and saw, one, that she was young and naive, and two, how beautiful she was. And this woman thought, these women are going to eat her alive. Because we know. Maybe you don't know. But in some of those, you know, jobs, and that's even in my world, working in bars and clubs and stuff, it can be ruthless, when you're dealing with tip cash money, people are ruthless. So this woman looked at her and thought, I'm going to take her under my wing a little bit, help her show the ropes, because otherwise she ain't going to make it here. They're going to tear her to shreds, these other women. And she said that Anna was a terrible dancer, didn't know the first thing about dancing or entertaining on a stage. But not only was she naturally beautiful, she knew how to handle men. 
she had this natural way of flirty and just making them feel comfortable, which not everybody can do either. It's just she just couldn't get up on a stage and work a pole and do a whole thing and do flips around a pole. That was not her thing. But clearly there was something else more intimate with her, right? So she gets hired right away. She she went up there and danced. The lady said she was so terrible, but it didn't matter because she was so beautiful. The guy was like, who cares? Just get on the stage, right? And this woman that tried to help her out said she was nervous at first and naive, but it really only took her two or three weeks. And then she was like a fucking pro. And she was making money hand over fist. She said they all were in this place because, again, these oil tycoons would come in, drop hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. She said they would have out of their thongs, it would be a, a, like a, a, a lay grass skirt, Hawaiian hula skirt or whatever, filled with $100 bills. $100 bills. She said if they left there on a night with just like $200, that that was like a really bad night. And this is in the 80s. And that was considered not enough money. She said they made a ton of money in this strip club. And Anna in particularly. So it didn't take Anna long. Uh, and she learned the ropes. And while working there, she had a many male suitors who you know in those type of places they bring gifts in for some of the girls they become regulars and there was this one man older man who was a regular who loved Anna and this man his name was um oh my god I'm forgetting the name right off the bat oh Grant Marshall uh, this was going to be her husband the billionaire and He absolutely adored Anna and he would bring gifts all the time and trying to woo her. And he was, she was super duper nice to him. Uh, J. Howard Marshall. I'm sorry. That's his name. She was super nice to him. This woman said that was friends with her. Like she was patient with him. She would sit and talk with him for hours in this club. Like it Obviously, he's given her money and given her things, but this woman was explaining how she was truly being nice to him because he was being nice to her. It wasn't just like, give me your money, let me take it and run, like some of these other women would act like in this club. She was truly, you know, he would confide in her about things. It was, you know, it was a friendship. So... She slowly starts developing this friendship with J. Marshall Howard. J. Howard Marshall? Girl, what is it? J. Howard Marshall, sorry. (laughs) And he starts now, as the relationship grows, not just giving her money and gifts and jewelry, but now it's like, I'm going to buy you a house. I'm going to buy you a car. Because this motherfucker, did I mention he's a billionaire? Billions. Not millions billions okay so he has a lot of money probably to you know to burn anywhere and everywhere so he's I'm gonna get your house I'm gonna get your car because he knew she had a kid you know they developed this friendship over months it got very close and he would constantly ask her to marry him and she would turn it down the lady said every time she'd say no 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 I'm not gonna marry you everybody's going to say I'm doing it just to be a gold digger. I don't need to be, you know, maybe one day I got to make a name for myself first. I just, I don't have, nobody knows who I am because one day I'm going to be a famous model. 
And she would always say that the friends in the strip club said she would always say from the first day she met her, one day I'm going to be a famous model, I'm going to be a world famous model. And the friend in the strip club would just go, uh-huh, you and every other girl in here. That was what everybody said. You know, sure you are, hun. you You're going to be a famous model. Anyways. So Jay Howard's given her this stuff. She's she's growing closer with this friend from the strip club. And the friend from the strip club, this woman, she's saying, you know, I loved her very much. I was falling in love with Anna. She was so nice and friendly. And one of the things you'll see throughout like Anna's life is people become infatuated with her. So when they meet her, she doesn't even have to speak a lot. Like, I mean, she spoke, but I mean, it's not like she was some master manipulator. She was, people would just be so infatuated with who she was and what she looked like and her personality that they would become like in love with her. They would fall in love with her over and over again throughout her life. So now the friend that was showing her the ropes in the strip club is falling in love with her. While Anna now is in this house that J. Howard Marshall bought her that, with the son, uh, she, and, you know, the friend was there often a lot too, Anna starts doing some modeling. And through this modeling, one of these agencies, you know, just there in Texas and Houston, and one of these agencies says and calls up this woman who at the time was doing this talent scout searches for a playboy. We know all about them by now, don't we, guys? Between Holly Madison and Pam Anderson, the Playboy scouting, how they did back then in the 80s and early 90s. So somebody contacts the Playboy scout, this woman that does the scouting, and says, listen, I got someone here. I'm going to send you pictures. You need to see this woman in Texas. You're going to die. And she's like, this is what, the, you know, the lady from Playboy is like, this is what everybody says. But sure, go ahead, send me the pictures. And the woman from Playboy gets the pictures and goes, holy fucking shit. Send her here immediately. We're doing a test. We're going to do a test shoot for Playboy immediately. Just upon seeing these photos of Anna Nicole Smith. And Anna Nicole does these test shoots for Playboy. And they're phenomenal. They're like, she goes, the woman, Anna shows up. First of all, her name is Vicky Lynn right now. I keep calling her Anna Nicole because that's how we know her. Her name is Vicky Lynn. She's telling people now as she starts modeling that she wants to be called Nikki. Not Vicky, but Nikki. Girl, I don't know why. What's the difference? But that's what she So she's going by Nikki. Okay. So she goes there to Playboy. She does it. Thing. She shows up. The woman said, no makeup on the face. The hair isn't even done. And just looking like that was gorgeous. And they were like, holy shit, right? Because it doesn't always happen. Sometimes, you know, some ladies need a little more help than others. It's just the way way the fucking cookie crumbles. Well, Anna didn't. But then when you did do the hair and you did do the makeup and you did put the red lip on and you did do the dark smoky eye on Anna Nicole, it was like, holy shit, bombshell, right? You know, we know the photos. So she tests for Playboy, immediately gets in. Like, before anyone could finish a breath, Hugh Hefner's like, yes. 
cover immediately immediately to the cover all these other ones like poor holly madison and bridget marquette and all these other ones kendra the things those poor girls had to go through to get on a cover this one was like bang, didn't do nothing but show up show up and got right on they shoot the cover for playboy and then the inside and that's it within just a few short months anna nicole went from being an entertaining dancer in a you know male club whatever to cover a playboy everybody is like who the fuck is this so she's on playboy <sighs> the owner of guess jeans okay sees her on the cover of playboy and he's like he calls up this woman who's the head of like all the playboy talent the one that was in charge of like you know she's the one that got Anna in there and he says, who is this woman on this month's issue of Playboy that just came out? And Paul Marciano, that's the last name, the Marciano brothers. And she's like, oh, that's, you know, Nikki Smith, whatever. And he's like, get me in touch right now. She's going to be the next model for our next campaign. Because, you know, guest jeans back then... 1990, 1991, early. it was all about jeans for natural curvy women, showing the natural side. It was all like sexy guest jeans. That was a, So she does the photo shoot for guest jeans, which is really what skyrocketed Anna Nicole. Like she was on Playboy, yes, and that got her attention, the attention of people. But the guest jeans ad was like, who in the fuck is this? Like her billboard, I remember seeing her on billboards and magazines in the mall, wherever. And it was just like, you had to stop and look at it. So she, he puts her in his guest ad and that was it. It was like super stardom when she was in the guest jeans ad, right? Oh, and by the way, when she was in Playboy or had to do the test shoot for Playboy, even though she was used to working in this male entertainment club in Houston, she was super nervous and didn't want to get nude. She had the sheet wrapped around her and wouldn't get nude for the photographer. Because, you know, when she's in the club, in the club in Houston, she, like, knows the people that walk in that club. It's almost like you feel comfortable because you get used to the people seeing it. And now you're in a whole new place, a whole new people. You don't know who these people are taking your picture. You don't take a picture when you're on stage at a club. So she got nervous, so she's sitting there. She wouldn't take the sheet off. They had to call the woman, the talent agent woman in, to talk her into it. They had to play music to get her calm. She had her own music that she brought with her, Anna Nicole, which was Marilyn Monroe's song, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. She brought that record with her. They played it, and the, and the woman said it's like she became a different person. It's like she embodied the spirit of Marilyn Monroe once they played that music. But she was nervous too. Girl, they're all nervous. Don't we always hear the same story with Playboy? Ain't none of them comfortable doing it. None of them. They go to these test shoots and they're all crapping their pants, trembling, scared. Every single one that talks about it. But they all wind up in the end somehow convincing them to take their clothes off. Girl, anyway. Anyway. So Anna does the guest ad. Fucking superstardom with the guest ad. Everyone is talking about who in the hell is this beautiful freaking woman on this guest ad. She gets put in a movie, her first movie. She does uh, auditions for it. Her and the friends who was help watching Daniel, the friend from the strip club, 
was the one that was helping watch Daniel while Anna did all this stuff. They all take a trip to Hollywood. She auditions for a role in a movie. First time ever. She's no actress. But you know, they didn't, she didn't really have to act. No offense, Anna Nicole. But she, her first role in the movie was like a comedy. And it was called, what the heck is a weird name? Uh, the Hud Strucker, The Hud Sucker Proxy. And she played Zaza, a flirtatious celebrity, who's like the flirty type of person with the lead character. It wasn't a big role, but that's what she did. First movie. And her and the friends were besides themselves, beside themselves with excitement that she even got in a movie. To, to go from Mejia, Texas, just a year or two earlier, fucking no one knows who you are, to now you're in a fucking Hollywood movie, even if it's a small role, you're a guest jeans ad, you're on the cover of Playboy. It happens within a matter of one or two, not even two full years. Like all this, it was just a couple years. Stardom. Uh, also the friend, she was in a relationship with the friend from the strip club. She, you know, they had a female, you know, whatever, same-sex relationship, lesbian. Can I say that word anymore, lesbian? Sometimes I feel like I'm not allowed to say that word anymore in these days. Jesus, anyway. And it was the first time, I think, for both of them that they were both in a same-sex relationship. The woman said, you felt safe with Anna. She said, anyone that met Anna felt safe with Anna. She made you feel like you were taken care of, like you could be yourself. You were in a safe space. She was very compassionate like that. Anyone that met her felt like that around her, comfortable with her. So that's where we're at. She's superstardom, freaking blast off into the stratosphere of celebrity. Maybe a little bit too fast overnight. People became like anyone that met her in person the world would become obsessed with her the minute they saw her. That's just like what would happen in her real life. Now just, just remind yourself for a moment. Let's just think for a minute. She grew up in this town in Texas that nobody knows that fucking exists. No opportunity. No opportunity other than getting married at 17 and having kids, Right? To working in a strip club in Houston, getting in touch, making friends, having men fall in love with you all over the place, including a fucking billionaire who buys you a house and a car. To, if that's not enough, to all of a sudden, virtually over fucking night, on the cover of Playboy, tests for Playboy, not only gets in on the first time she tests, but gets sent right to the fucking cover of Playboy. March in 1992, I think. Two months later, the fucking owners of Guess Jeans are like, who the hell is this on this cover? She's our new girl, gets rid of Claudia Schiffer and uses her for their Guess Jeans ad. Two months later, after being on the cover of Playboy, Gets put on multiple other ads, modeling ads from this, like H&M in Sweden. So her face is all over Sweden, Norway, all over the world because of the guest gene ad. Then gets in a movie. Okay. 
in a matter of like a year or less, all this shit happens where a year earlier, no one knew who the hell she was. And now she's got every kind of man in Hollywood and celebrity wanting to date her, going out with her, taking her here, taking her there. Like, can you imagine overnight? Meanwhile, when she was doing modeling in Houston and even on Playboy and stuff, people would tell her she's too tall, too tall. She's too big. She's too curvy. She's too this to be a model. Because this is around the heyday of like the supermodel, right? Naomi Campbell, all these women. She's not like that. Anna Nicole is not like that. She's a bigger woman. She's like a real woman, real curves. So she was told this shit not going to make it because you're not like one of those models. But clearly... She proved them wrong and people didn't care. People loved it. And so, it, like I said, I wanted to just take a minute to remind ourselves. In a year's time, this woman went from no one. Just imagine yourself right now. No one knows who the fuck you are to now you got all kinds of men in Hollywood coming and calling on you and being about, and you're going in here and there and you're modeling at it. It's insane. Now you're living in L.A. You're moving out to California because there's so many opportunities. That is some crazy stardom story and what's crazier is she knew it as a teenager that she was going to be famous she was saying it her whole life crazy anna nicole at this point is living a little bit in la and out that way and also going back to texas to be with j howard marshall in 1994 she officially marries him But there's flying back and forth. So she would go to L.A. and spend time when she had to do things, movies. She was also in um, a couple other movies. She was up for the role of the mask, playing the lead, you know, that Cameron Diaz played. She was given that role uh, with Jim Carrey in the movie The Mask. But they only wanted to pay her $50,000. And at that time, she was making a lot more money just modeling and stuff. So she turned it down because she was like, girl, you better pay me more. And they weren't willing to. So that's an interesting little tidbit. Uh, She did other movies and things like that, modeling gigs like this. So she would go in her off time to go still see J. Howard Marshall. And he wanted to adopt Daniel. Daniel was a little boy at this time, and he wanted to adopt Daniel, her son, to protect them, basically, from... Because he was an old man at this point. He's in a wheelchair. He can't walk well. And he knows that his family, his kids, the minute he dies, are not going to give a penny to Anna Nicole or Daniel. And it was very important to him to make sure that they were taken care of, right? So they're not married yet, but he still tries to adopt Daniel. uh, And he has people tell, like people, assistants that work for him, assistants that work for Anna, go tell my lawyer, tell the lawyer, make it happen, get the paperwork going. I want to adopt Daniel so that Anna and Daniel are safe because I want to make sure they're always taken care of, la, la, la. And the assistant would go and tell the lawyer and the lawyer would be like, okay, sure. Because the lawyers were hired by the family. So they were in the family's interest, not necessarily the father's. Now listen, you could call Anna Nicole a gold digger, whatever you want to say. 
The friends are saying that they had a special relationship. It wasn't made like sexual. Obviously, he's an elderly man. She's this young 20-something-year-old woman. But it was more like, obviously, she would dance naked for him and stuff like that at the freaking strip clubs and stuff. But it was almost like he would take care of her and they confided in one another. And as she became famous and people wanted things from her, men in Hollywood, all that nonsense, you know, the creeps. She felt safe with Jay Howard because he had a similar life in that maybe he wasn't, you know, people weren't coming after him because he was sexually, but they were trying to take something from him all the time because he's so goddamn rich. He's a billionaire. So both of them knew what it felt like to have like leeches on you, people trying to get something from you and use you. And they felt safe with one another. So they had this companionship. They did love each other very much. Um, And that was the relationship. And he, motherfucker, had billions of dollars. And he wanted to make sure she was, her and her son were going to be safe and well taken care of after he died. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Especially when somebody has so much goddamn money, like, let him take care of them. I don't know why the kids got to fight it. I would have, if I was, I'd be like, there's enough money for all of us here. Let him take care of her, make sure she's all right. But anyways, so that's going on. Now her time in Hollywood is getting more and more tumultuous as she's gaining fame at a freaking skyrocketing pace. You know, crazy things start, you know, people start using her for different reasons. She's out with another guy every night. Uh, she was always really good with the paparazzi. So when she would see them outside of these restaurants and clubs in LA, she was super friendly with them. They had a bunch of paparazzi on there that said she was always friendly, always nice, always smiling, willing to say hi. We would make so much money off of her because she was always so chipper and friendly in the videos. And she knew that she was helping us make money. The more she would smile and laugh to the camera and Even if the person that she was with for that night, she didn't really like being with, she would pretend in the photos for the, you know, photo ops, like, oh, like she would like give him a kiss on the cheek like she cared. And the next night you would never see her with that person ever again. Okay. So this is the crazy life she was living. Also, the the female friends, her friends from the strip club, you know, the original friend, she was like, she said how when Anna first got her breast augmentation it was very very painful for her she had a hard time healing from it and so she was prescribed back then they would give you any kind of pain pill you could want and in in any amount for any reason so she was first prescribed because she never drank never did anything but when she started taking these pain medications because she had this really hard time healing The friend said she never went off them. From that point on, she was always on some sort of pain medication, uh, you know, addicted to it. So that's good to know for now. Then at one point, uh, she hires a private investigator. She's got money. She's gaining fame. And she's like, you know what? I want to meet my real father. I never met my biological father. It was always my mother and my stepfather. And she always had it in her head that her mother was such a tyrant of a person, such a strict, like, you know, like a tyrant. That's how she would describe her, that the father must like 
couldn't stand to even be near the mother. This is what Anna Nicole had in her head. And that, you know, the mother would always talk bad about Anna Nicole's father and how what a terrible human being he was. But Anna Nicole always had this idea in her head that that could not be true. It's just because my mother's such a miserable, terrible person, like, you know, it's such a harsh person that he probably couldn't stand to be with her. And so she had never met her biological father. So she hires this private investigator to help find him. The, the investigator finds him. He's living in a small town in Texas, only a few hundred people. It's a tiny, tiny, tiny town. And there's a son. Anna has a brother, right? Different mother. And she calls. The private investigator says to the, to the father, would you want to speak to her? She, he says, sure, yes. She calls. Now, he doesn't know that his daughter is Anna Nicole Smith. Remember, her real name is Vicki Lynn. Uh, he So he has no idea at this point because she didn't want them to know, the father and the brother and the family to know exactly who she was. Just, you know, because you're famous and people use you for different things, right? And so she says, would you be willing to come meet me? I'm in California. I'll buy your plane tickets for you and my brother. And I think it was like either a girlfriend or a daughter from another marriage or something like that. Yes, yes, you you know, we'll come, we'll meet you. And so she buys them plane tickets and gets them a hotel. And they were interviewing the brother in the documentary, her brother. I think Brian is his name. And he was explaining how it was odd because they only talked to her on the phone maybe just a couple times. And she's like, I'm going to buy you plane tickets. You can stay in this hotel and you can come meet me. He said, but there wasn't like a ton of information and so they were a bit skeptical doing this trip at all because they didn't know what they were getting into or what they were meeting at the, you know they didn't know she was a famous anything but they went and they get to the airport and somebody's filming it there's home video footage because you know he's meeting his biological daughter for the first time so they had a relative with them that was filming it and Anna Nicole had somebody with her that was filming her in the limousine she picks them up in a limousine at the airport she's so excited they meet each other for the first time at the airport and she's like hanging out of the limousine so excited jumps out of it jumping up and down giving him hugs I'm your that's my daddy that's my daddy that's my daddy you know like she's very kid-like in how she talks especially when she gets excited especially in front of a camera she gets very you know and so she was like oh this is my daddy and she's hugging them and and they don't know who the fuck she is. They still don't know who she is. They're just like, the brother goes, all I know is there was a limo pulls up. There's this blonde woman hanging out of the limo with pigtails in her hair. In the documentary, you see she's got these pigtails in her hair. She's dressed all like, you know, how Anna Nicole dresses. And he's like, what is this? This is my sister. Not that he was judging. It's just like was a bit much, right? And they get in the limo. She pours them all champagne in the limo. They're standing there holding champagne flutes, looking like stunned faces, like they don't know what the fuck is happening. And they were kind of like getting a little almost like nervous looking like, all right, what is this shit? Right. And she goes, oh, should I tell you what I do for a living? You really don't recognize me. You don't know who I am. And there was somebody with her, like a friend or something. And he's like, yeah, you might even have a picture of her on your wall. And the kid's like, who's a teenager now, the brother, he's like, I don't have a picture. Like, no. And she goes, well, I go by the stage name of Anna Nicole Smith. 
and I was just in a movie and I'm the guest jean model. Do you know guest jeans? And the dad was kind of like just looking at her because he's from this teeny tiny town in Texas and he's like, yeah, I know. I guess I've heard of it, but I don't have guest jeans, he's saying. Meanwhile, he's looking like Elvis. You got to see him in the documentary. He looks like Elvis. And she goes, and I was on the cover Playboy. And I'm the Playmate of the Year this year. And he go, they were like, Playboy, like Hugh Hefner Playboy. She's like, yeah. And they were all like, holy shit. The dad gives her a big hug and... They're all like, you know, and the guy that's with Anna, her friend says, yeah, and you're going to go tonight to the Playboy Mansion. There's a big party for Anna because she's Playmate of the Year. You're going to go. You're going to meet Hugh Hefner and all these other celebrities. And you had to see the, the brother and the father, the face. They were like, can you imagine, right? So she takes him to the Playboy Mansion. He meets Hugh Hefner. She's showing him to all the people in the Playboy Mansion that work there. This is my father. This is my father. Taking pictures. Was this great time. The next day, they do some kind of interview outside where it's the first time she's ever meeting her biological father. They do like a video interview, some type of thing. And how happy she is. He's saying how proud he is of her. And here she is. Like clearly the brother said she wanted a father figure in her life. Like she was so happy to see my father. And the brother, the whole time, if you look on his face, the brother is not smiling, nor is the brother excited to see her. And you kind of know there's something going on here. Why is this teenage boy looking like not okay? And then the brother comes out and says... You know, my father's not a good person. He goes, my father is actually one of the, the worst people you could ever meet. You, you don't want to be alone in a room with my father, he starts saying. And he's telling stories about how the father told him when he was 16 years old, how he raped his wife's, at the time, younger sister, because the wife wasn't home and the younger sister was there. She was like a kind of a teenage girl and how he tackled her down in the backyard. No one was home but him and her and raped her. He would threaten people's lives all the time. He would say to his son, I'll beat the shit out of you and stomp your head into the ground. Like he was like one of those like not okay, bad, bad human. And so basically everything that Anna Nicole's mother would tell her about her father how he's a terrible person, was accurate. Even though Anna Nicole didn't want to believe it. She wanted to believe her dad was this, he was not good. So toward the end of the trip there, because the brother and the father were there for a couple days, few days, uh, they stayed. I thought it was a hotel, but maybe at one point they went back to Anna's house or where Annie was staying, something like that. Um, basically, Anna says, Anna told the friends, you know, her, her good friend, that the father tried to rape her. Can you believe this shit? The father tried to, you know, have sex with her, get her to have sex with him, his own daughter, the first time he's ever met. And she was so distraught, she had to, like, kick him off of her, you know, whatever, fight him off. And they never, the relationship never happened again, never saw the father ever again. Nobody, nobody met him ever again. He never, obviously, he never came around ever again. <sighs> and the documentary crew 
tells this to the brother on camera. Like, did you know that? That your father tried to sleep with Anna on that trip? And the brother goes, no, I, I, would, I don't. He goes, it sounds like something my dad would do because my dad is a terrible, was a terrible human being. He goes, but I was with them every step of the way and nothing like that happened. And the documentary guy's like, well, that's what Anna told her very close friend that lives with her. That he, he, she came home one night distraught after being with you guys and said, this is what happened. And he goes, well, I wasn't with them every minute. I mean, you do go to sleep at night and stuff like that. So I guess it could have happened. And it does sound like something my father probably would have done. Can you fucking imagine? Okay. So, of course, this doesn't. This doesn't sit well with Miss Anna Nicole, okay? She has a hard time coming back from something like that happening. Such a high of meeting her father and being so excited to have a father that's going to be this loving, caring figure like she's got in her head that she's made her think that he is because she had such a rough childhood with her mom and the stepfather. Then to find out that he's only this disgraceful piece of shit of a human being. Uh, that's not easy. For someone of any caliber to deal with, let alone now you're in Hollywood amongst all these sharks and people, you know, tumultuous, I don't think is even a big enough word to describe the time that's the times that were coming from this. So around this time now, Anna and Jay Howard Marshall marry. All right. Now, this wasn't a normal marriage. It was complicated. We know. He's an elderly man. She's in her 20s, okay? So they marry in 1994. You know, he truly believed, J. Howard Marshall, that Anna, that he was put on this earth. He said this to her all the time, that he was put on this earth to make sure that she was taken care of because of the terrible childhood she had and how she was treated. And, you know, he wanted to take care of her. He called her his precious package. I mean, this was it. So she's in L.A. the majority of the time because she's working and she would call into him. But of course, as time goes on, she starts calling and going to Texas less and less to see and communicate with J. Howard Marshall. Now, in L.A., this is several months after the whole ordeal with her father, and she's seen Al almost every single night, and she's with a guy, almost a different guy, almost every single night. The paparazzi are clipping pictures left and right. And this one night, she's with this young, blonde guy. Nobody knows who he is, right? And she's not her normal, happy, jovial, you know, bubbly self. And the paparazzi notice this. They're like, hmm, she seems a little... A little agitated, a little perturbed, not happy. She leaves with this guy and gets in a car and goes, well, news breaks a few hours later that Anna Nicole Smith overdoses in a Beverly Hills hotel room. And the news is all over the place. Now, this is around the time when River Phoenix over the same, only a few weeks apart, River Phoenix overdoses and dies on Sunset Boulevard outside of a Viper room. So people were hardcore abusing drugs in Hollywood at this time. And everybody was shocked when they found this out about Anna Nicole, because even though, you know, 
she would was in Playboy and the sexy thing. Nobody saw her like a drug addict or anything like that. Nobody knew that about her. So when the news came out that she overdosed, everyone was like, what? Nobody thought that about her. But now they sure did. And it started to shed, obviously, a negative light on who she was. The paparazzi who used to love and adore her now love and adore her, but for a different reason, because they're trying to get a picture of her or dig up dirt on her, talk, you know, in a in a bad way so they can make money off her in her hard times, not her good times. Because that's how the paparazzi do, right? So that relationship changes between her and the press because they're talking bad, sh- you know, shit on her, whatever. Her relationship changes between her and her friend that from Texas that came with her uh, and that was living with her and helping her with Daniel. You know, they weren't really together together. They had their moments, like I said, in their relationship together. But they always stayed friends. But this time, the friend said, you know, Anna was becoming a different person. She wasn't the same Anna that was there when they went out to L.A. together. She was heavy duty abusing the pills and drugs, medications, And now adding alcohol to it, which we know those two things don't mix, which was something she used to not ever do, but now it was getting worse. She said she was becoming an extremely uh, entitled, you know, self-centered, just like, like a, what did she call her? A glamzilla or something like that, like a totally different vibe of a person didn't even look the same in her eyes anymore she said she had no more respect for her friend the friend said she would just treat me like I was the help if I didn't do stuff for her the way she wanted it and you know her head got bigger and bigger and bigger she was you know high and messed up all the time so the friend eventually was like you know what I'm out of here I'm done and the friend left and went back to Texas okay Now, J. Howard Marshall would try to reach out to Anna a lot, call. She would ignore his calls a lot. Oh, the friend also said that she started treating J. Howard like he was an ATM machine. Whereas in the past, when they knew each other, she would spend time with him. She would hang out with him. They would joke. They would do things. Now it was just, I need money. Give me money. Give me your credit card. I need it. There was no more personal, like being, you know, friendly with him or anything like that. And so he gave her his personal credit card to use with basically God knows what kind of limit on it, right? So it's a billionaire's credit card. And would you believe she maxed out this credit card? The friend said on all kinds of anything and everything you could imagine. Friend was like, I couldn't believe that that was even possible to do on a billionaire's credit card, but it is. And, you know, that's that's why the friend was like, I don't want to be any part of this. It's turning into something I don't want to be a part of, and it's not who I am, where I came from. So the friend splits. Now, her time with her, her marriage to Jay Howard is hardly anything but a marriage. He calls and calls and calls her. If he can get her on the phone, She's quickly to just go, I'm sleeping, I'm tired, I gotta go, I gotta go. And he's saying, I love you, I love you. Just, you know, 
pick up the phone. I want to talk to you. It's your husband. It's pretty sad to hear him leaving messages for her. Now the son, Jay Howard's son, he, of course, took issue, if you didn't know, with Anna. But he was more like, oh, the issue wasn't just with Anna. The, ish, the real issue was with his father, not Anna. Now, he and his father, Jay Howard, had a terrible time growing up together. Okay, Jay Howard. Now, I don't know if I said what he did. So basically, he was in oil. When I said everybody there was in oil, he was in the oil industry in the 50s. He was one of the first oil companies down there in Texas. So, girl, that's all I need to say about that. That's who he was and how he made his money. So now his son, his name is Pierce. I'm sorry. Pierce is the oldest son. He was set to, like, you know, take over the whole business. That is this empire, this oil empire the father put together. Now... The father, according to Pierce Marshall, Jay Howard was extremely harsh on his son and was always quick to say, you'll never be do what I did. You'll never be as successful as me. Like that kind of shit, you know, because the father was this billionaire to the son. You can never live up to what I do. You can never impress me. This is what Pierce Marshall says, Jay Howard, how he treated him. So Pierce Marshall says, I had to put up with my father my whole life, even into my adult later years, with his abuse and his berating me and his la 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 la, for all of a sudden Anna Nicole to come into the picture this late in the game and think she's going to take these tens and hundreds of millions or whatever from my father, when it really, I'm the one that's been here with dealing with this shit ass motherfucker, my father is a cranky ass bastard. That's how Pierce felt. Like, no, she ain't gonna she doesn't get to come in here and swoop in and take all this money because he's she's you know, he's fallen in love with her. I've been here working my fucking ass to the bone with this company and da 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 da. So this starts to happen be- between in this family dynamic. This is all what starts going on. And now that Anna does, you know, she has the OD and it becomes public that she's got a drug problem and whatever. Now Pierce Marshall, even more so, is like, absolutely not. Absolutely not is this person going to come in here and take all that this family and I've done and worked for and helped my, my whole life doing. Absolutely not. So the, this is the dynamic that's starting to build. Oh, God. Now, a trust agreement is made for J. Howard Marshall. And it's using the the lawyers, his lawyers, the company lawyers. And he's thinking this is money for him to spend it however he wants to spend it, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, all right, Pierce Marshall, his son, it was a way for him to control how his father was spending money. And Jay Howard finds out about this by he buys Anna a diamond necklace, diamond earrings, diamond bracelet, like a set, and it cost over a million dollars, right? And he tells the jewelry store, give this to Anna, da 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 da, I'm gonna give it to her, bop bop. And the he gives it to Anna, and then the jewelry store, girl, this is how he finds out, contacts Jay Howard and says, I'm sorry. 
the payment doesn't go through, we're going to need the diamonds back because Pierce Howard said he's not approving this payment to buy these diamonds for Anna. And that's how Jay Howard found out that he didn't have control over his money anymore. I don't want to say like Pierce uh, Marshall and the lawyers tricked Jay Howard, but Jay Howard, I mean, I guess you could say that he had this trust agreement filled out that he thought he was doing to just arrange the money so he could pay taxes and he could do what he wanted with it. And next thing you know, he lost all his rights to all his money, basically. Not necessarily all his rights, but the son had to approve every payment. Girl, so you know his ass wasn't approving shit for Anna. So Jay Howard reaches out to uh, Marshall or to, I'm sorry, Pierce, to his lawyers, to people saying, this isn't what I want. My son has gone a little too far. He overstepped his grounds. Uh, It's my money. I want to take care of my wife for the rest of her life, how I want to take care of her. And this shouldn't be allowed, blah, blah, blah. And he started to protest against it. But this also began the decline in Jay Howard's health. And a year later, after being married for a year, uh, Jay Howard Marshall passes away. And now there's a battle in the fucking courts, right? You remember this shit? Now listen, when Jay Howard was alive for many, many years, he had told Anna that he was going to give her half of his estate of his money half now the man was worth uh 1.6 billion dollars almost two billion dollars and he said anna would get half of that money okay well it went to court and by the time it went to court anna nicole was broke she was broke because when she was out in Hollywood and doing her thing and doing these movies and da 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 da, she didn't realize that so much of her life was funded by Jay Howard. Like, you know, any type of publicist she's got, manager she's got, this, that, all the things you need besides just, you know, food and, and, and rent or whatever it is. Her whole career was funded by him. And now that it's like basically he's dead and. Pierce Marshall ain't paying a dime to her for nothing. She blew through whatever money she was making. And then on top of it, she's got the drug problem. So now she's losing gigs and she's losing clients and people don't want her to work with her no more because now she's, you know, seen out by the paparazzi and she's seen drunk and she's seen a little messed up. And people are like, oh, she's a wreck. That one's a wreck. We don't want her no more. And now so she's broke. People, they say, once they find out you have a drug problem in Hollywood, everybody splits. Everybody that was around you, this crew of people that were around you, that were there for you. As soon as something goes wrong, they scatter. And then there's nobody there. Then they were talking about how this this crazy phenomenon in Hollywood. When, pe- when you need people the most, that's when there's nobody around out there. Because this shit is a bunch of phony baloney bullshit. So she's, you know... Not only dealing with the death of him, which she did care for him and she was upset by it. She's broke as a joke. She's got a drug problem. Nobody wants to work with her anymore. In a span of just a few short years, this woman's career just fell to fucking shit. 
as fast as she skyrocketed in fame is as fast as she came crashing the fuck down. It's a mess, girl. So the time comes for the trial. And Anna needs representation. She don't have a lot of money. So she hires a lawyer. And she's seen out with him. Like out, you know, coming from different restaurants. Coming here, there. Paparazzi are snapping pictures. And people are like, who is this guy you're with? Anna, who are you with? Who are you with? And she's like, this is my lawyer. His name is Howard K. Stern. Howard Stern is his name. But he got known as Howard K. Stern. Because he's not the Howard Stern that you know from the radio. He's a different guy. And they also were kind of dating, but it wasn't really clear if they were dating or not. She would, it was this very like strange relationship. People said he was kind of like a sleazeball. He was a mediocre lawyer at best. He was just in it for the potential payday that might happen and payout that might happen because this was a huge case. They were saying this case was beyond him. He wasn't capable of helping her in this situation. But it's who she chose as her lawyer. So the case starts. Pierce Marshall's lawyers said, instead of them going after her and berating her, they chose to let her tell on herself because they knew that everything she was saying was a lie. That Pierce or that Jay Howard didn't promise her half of his fortune. That if he really wanted her to have half of his fortune, he would have put it in writing, which there was none of. They said this whole thing was she's making it up. Now, when the case started, a lot of people were on Anna Nicole's side, right? They felt sympathy for her. She was well-known, even though there was some drama there with her. People wanted to root for the underdog. They show an interview with her and RuPaul, where RuPaul's rooting for her, saying, you should get it. If he's promised you half and that was your husband, that's what you should get. Now, the case starts. There's 16 jurors. 13 of those jurors are women. So they were nervous that the women would side with her at first, Pierce's lawyers. But they knew that after they heard everything, they would turn and realize she doesn't, he didn't, you know, she doesn't deserve this money. And what they did was let Anna basically tell on herself. Because Pierce Marshall's lawyer said that Anna was a glutton. She spent money like crazy and couldn't get enough of it. And that Pierce or that Jay Howard, I'm sorry. Oh, God, the names. Jay Howard, like you said, if you wanted her to have half, he would have written it. But his plan all along was he gave her money over the course of them knowing each other five years, something like that. He gave her about 14, 15 million dollars. And the thought in his head was, by the time I die, I'm going to give her so much money in either cash money, jewels, whatever it was. That she'll be set. Her and, her and Daniel will be set. Well, girl, she blew through that money. The money was gone. As soon as she got it in her hand, the money was gone. Didn't even make it to her hand. Right? So they get her up there on the stand. She's talking about how her and Jay Howard loved each other, but it wasn't a sexual love. It was out of respect. He helped her and her son go from poverty to have this beautiful life and how she's forever indebted to him for it. And then they start asking her questions about herself. And she's, they start getting her talking about how much she spends in a day. And she's almost like in a jovial way talking to them about it's very expensive to be me. I need a lot of money. The dresses, the jewelry, the nails, the hair, where I could live, the security, the this, the that, the manager, the blah, blah, blah. I need a lot. It's a lot of money to be me. 
I have to eat a special way to keep my figure. And as she's talking about it, it's coming off not in a way where you're feeling sorry for her now. It's coming off in a way where you're like, she's just blowing through this money like a glutton, which is what Pierce Marshall's lawyers wanted her to come off as. And so when it was time for the jury to deliberate, they unanimously decide she does not deserve a penny of this money and she doesn't get it. She loses the whole case. Okay. Oh, so you can imagine things weren't going great for her. Now, she was able to live a bit. She had some staff and some assistance, but it certainly wasn't like anything she used to have before. And she kind of goes out of the limelight. Five, six, seven year, five years, something like that. We don't hear nothing from her, right? And then the Osbournes on MTV, the show The Osbournes goes crazy and everybody loves it, right? And the channel E says, well, we need a show like fucking MTV has the Osbournes. We need something like this. But we're going to use Anna Nicole because you know what? Our audience likes Anna Nicole. And also we think it could be a bit of a funny hot mess. Let's pitch this show to her. So Anna's got this show pitched to her. She's talking to her friends. And one of the friends out there in Hollywood, she goes, you know, you think I should do it? And the friend says to Anna, I don't think you should do it, Anna. She's like, well, why not? And the woman says, because all they're going to do is be making fun of you the whole time. They're going to make you look like an idiot. And Anna goes, well, whatever. I'm broke and I need money, so I'm doing it. So Anna signs up and does the Anna Nicole show on E! You might remember it. And it was supposed to be a funny type comedy. There was like a cast of characters on the show of like people that were in her life, but they were all paid. None of them were actually real friends. They did get very close with her and cared for her, but they were all on the payroll, right? There, otherwise, there was nobody that was there just to be there because they liked her. Even Howard K. Stern was getting paid, was her lawyer. So, you know, it showed her, her son now, Daniel's a teenager in the show. And she goes on press for the show. And she goes on things like the Howard Stern show, the actual Howard Stern show. And all that people would do once the show aired was just talk about how fat and heavy and so how much weight Anna Nicole Smith had gained. People are voting on how much she weighs. People are this, but that's all anyone talked about was how much weight she gained, which she was never little. She was never a little thing, let's remember, and how she seemed like she was on something the whole time, which she vehemently denied she did, but a girl, who knows, Okay. And so what happens is at one point, Anna decides I need to lose weight. So she says to the sister of her friend, of her lawyer, Howard K. Stern's sister, help me lose weight. They went over, they worked out, they did yoga, they ate right. She lost about 25 pounds, but that wasn't enough for Anna. She wanted all the weight off and she wanted it off like tomorrow. And so diet pills right now were all the rage. And you might remember the diet pill campaign called Trim Spa. Okay, diuretics, things like that, Dexatrim. Well, Anna becomes the spokesperson for Trim Spa. But girl, who knows what she used? 
All they know is she started taking all kinds of diet pills. She stopped fucking eating completely. It caused her to have an eating disorder. All this talk about her weight. And one day, Howard K. Stern's sister gets a call. You got to come here. She's in really bad shape. We're worried. The sister goes over there. Anna's laying in bed. She hadn't eaten or, or drank anything in weeks. If she drank, it was just a few sips of water a day. All around her mouth was a big white ring. She was completely dehydrated, about a day or two away from death. And the sister says to Howard K. Stern, you got to call the ambulance in here. This, she needs IV. She's this. is dehydrated. This is like... And they said, no doctors because of the news. So she sat there for days, this sister, giving her fluid and water through a straw trying to make Anna sit up and sip and sip and sip and she says I know I saved her life if I hadn't gone there and they did what I did she would have been dead and she said to Anna if you ever do this to yourself again and abuse these diet pills like this and you don't eat and you don't drink and you take diuretics and all the other shit she must have been taking all at the same time girl the sister says you're gonna die don't ever do this again just to lose weight. And Anna's like, I know I won't. So then Anna comes out on the Trim Spa campaign, right? Showing everyone her new body. You might remember the commercials. It was Trim Spa, baby. And she did. She lost a ton of weight. She looked back to her normal self for a little while. But girl, the way she did it, she almost freaking killed herself. Ain't nobody know that. Okay? She almost died. So this is what's going on now with Anna's life. Now we got the reality TV show showing everything. People are worried about Daniel. He's got no friends. He's getting bullied at school, they say. Because kids are saying to him in high school, I saw your mother's tits. And shit like that. Nobody wants to really be friends with him. He's very isolated in this house. It makes him not really want to be close with really anyone. But Anna... Very much loved him and did whatever she could do for him. Everyone around her said that Daniel came first and whatever he needed, whatever he would, but he wasn't a spoiled kid. He wasn't a spoiled Hollywood brat, but he was very to himself. And Anna did whatever she could do to help him that he needed. They said she didn't love talking about her family ever at all or her childhood. The only thing she would talk about is how much she fucking hated her family. That's it. She wouldn't talk about specifics, just how much she fucking hated them. Okay. Which if you watch that show, you know, because in that show, she, I know she hates the family. Okay. It was something she would constantly talk about. Girl, and how she says she was never going to be a mother like how her mother was to her. She wasn't going to be that kind of mother to Daniel. Now you have Anna's bodyguard who came on the scene around 2005, 2006, and he's talking in the documentary about how, you know, when he first got the job, she kind of tested him because she wanted to see if he was really there to help her and do security or if he was there for other reasons. Because, you know, girl, she gets used a lot. And so she hit on him to see if he would take the bait. And he didn't. He's like, no disrespect, but, but like, I look at you like a little sister. I'm not trying to whatever. And so from then on, she, he was the bodyguard. Like, she's like, I knew I could trust him. So he was there. 
Now he says he was there the night that Anna Nicole, this infamous video where she had to go to the MTV Music Awards and present Kanye West with an award. And she totally seems drunk on drugs. She messes up one of the lines. She's whatever. Go Google it and look at it. Now he says that night she was not out of it at all. And that anything she did in front of a camera was calculated. So almost basically saying she would act loopy and drunk and be a little ditzy like that because she knew that people responded like it got her attention. And so she went on stage acting like herself because she goes, how should I perform? She was there with Howard K. Stern and he's like, just be yourself. She gets on stage. She acts a little goofy. She messes up one of the lines. Next thing you know, all these people are calling her for weeks and weeks after asking her for an interview, asking her for this, asking her for that. And she's like, all I, I didn't even have to do a sex tape or nothing. All I had to do was go on friggin' TV and mess up a line. So she knew what she was doing. And the bodyguard said, People always thought it was Howard K. Stern that ran things. And even though he was the lawyer, he goes, no, nobody controlled Anna. If somebody tried to control her, they were fired and they were gone. She controlled how everything went, he said. Now, 2006, 2005, 6 or whatever around there, she goes to the Kentucky Derby and she meets another man. Another infamous man in Howard's, in Howard, oh girl, in Anna's life. She meets... Larry Burkhead. Okay. He's a photographer. He photographs celebrities. He knows the whole gig. He comes and, you know, bumps into her, meets her at the Kentucky Derby. She hangs all over him. She loves him. He's very polite, the bodyguard said. Very polite man. A lot of manners. Very nice. But also, he's a photographer of celebrities. He understands the game of how this all works. So somehow he's Gets involved with Anna. Not really. He's not presented as the boyfriend really or nothing like that. But he's around. All these other people that are around Anna. Doing her hair. Doing her this. Her assistants. Blah, blah, blah. They start seeing the sky. He was kind of like staying at the house with her. And they were trying to have a baby. The, The assistants and the friends and people around her knew. Like she kept talking about how she wanted another baby. And what she wanted in a man, which this Larry Burkhead guy, I guess, met the criteria of what she wanted. But the friends and the assistants say that she had a very strict rule. Like, if you were going to have a baby with her, you basically had to sign away all your rights as the father. You couldn't even talk about the fact that you were the father. This had to be kept secret. She was very strict about that. She had, you know... So he was around, so people kind of suspected what was going on, like, you know, the people in her circle. But they said they didn't share a room. He had his own room that he stayed in. So people were like, well, that's weird, because usually you have a kid with somebody that you're kind of like with with. But so it's almost like insinuating Larry Burkhead was kind of just used to help her procreate. <laughs> oh, God. It wasn't because they fell in love with each other and were like, and then somebody gets pregnant. That wasn't kind of like how it happened. He was, (laughs) she picked him like, okay, you have good genes or whatever I like about you. Let's do this thing because I want a kid. (laughs) So she gets pregnant 
she announces that she's pregnant. It makes big, big news. But she don't say who the father is. She don't say, do you remember that? All this who's the father shit. So that now we got this controversy. Who is the father of this child, right? Before we get into Anna being pregnant and the next part of this, I want to say that Anna, a doctor that treated Anna was also in the documentary. And he was referred, Anna was referred to him by another doctor who he knew. And that doctor said, listen, be careful with treating her because she is very good at manipulating you and putting on the charm and da 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 da. And the guy was like saying, to don't fall for that when you treat her. Stick to, you know, what you know as a doctor because she's going to try to push to get drugs. Like, you know, the pills and shit. So Anna was forever on pain pills. It was was on constant pain management. So not just because of the started with the breast augmentation, but she had fibromyalgia. She had a bad back problem because the the breasts were too large. She had to have back surgery. She had a breast implant rupture at one point that had to be replaced. So that was a surgery. So there was a lot of things causing pain. And then, of course, when she would have emotional distress, the pain would be greater. And then the need for more pain medication and pain management would grow with that. The drug of choice, because she was on all types, that she was on the most, though, toward the end, was methadone. Now, methadone is a drug most people will know that is used People that have a heroin addiction, they use it to get off of heroin, right? Methadone. But Anna didn't have a heroin addiction, but this was the drug she would use for pain. Now, she had an enormously high tolerance for pain medication because of the years being on it. And so when she would go to this doctor and ask to be treated, she would say, listen, I'm like a horse. I can handle a lot. Don't worry about the dosage. You could give me a big, big dose. Because I have a high tolerance. Because she would try to get, as we know, when someone's addicted like that to pain medication, they they do develop a tolerance and they need a higher dose to feel anything. That's what happens. So she was on methadone. Now, I just want to put that out there because I forgot to mention that before the pregnancy. Girl, I don't know if she was on this shit while she was pregnant. Okay, I don't know. So she gets pregnant. Like I said, nobody knows who the father is. But they announce after a while who the father is. And by they, I mean Anna and Howard K. Stern announce that he's the father. They're having their family together. Her and her lawyer. Now, everyone around them was like, huh? Because they weren't in a relationship. They weren't together like that. They were very close And he was her lawyer and they were very close, but not like that. Even the sister of Howard K. Stern, when Anna called and said, you're going to be an aunt to the sister, the sister was like, huh? The parents of Howard K. Stern were like, huh? Because he never spoke of Anna in any kind of way, like they were in a relationship or anything like that. But people close to her that worked for her said, you know, what a perfect, you know, idea like your lawyer is going to help you with this paper 
They're going to help. You're going to say that the baby's his. It's your lawyer. They could do all the proper paperwork and things and that, 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 that. They thought it was a perfect, like, match to make it work. And so they start taking pictures and publicly trying to say they're together. You know, things like that. But girl, people that knew them well were like, that's not Howard K. Stern's baby. And if it is, when did this happen? Because they weren't like that with each other. Okay. Now, Daniel the son in 2006, seven or whatever like that. He was 21 years old and people closest to Anna, her assistants and stuff said as a teenager in his early twenties and stuff, he never drank. He never absolutely ever did drugs. If they saw him drink, it was like a beer once every way, you know, once in a great while, the kid was not into that stuff ever. And then one day, one of the assistants had a party. Every year he had a party for Kylie Minogue's birthday. He's like, every year I throw a party on Kylie Minogue's birthday. Girl, whatever. But anyways, (laughs) I try to not judge, but some of these people out in Hollywood are out of their fucking minds. All right. So this dude, every day, every year has a birthday party for Kylie Minogue. She doesn't actually attend. He just celebrates her birthday, whatever. So Daniel, he's like the assistant or something to uh, Anna. Daniel comes to this party one day. He walks in this dude's house. The dude's like, oh, Daniel, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I want to, you know, he was drinking and he's asking the guy for drugs. And the guy's like, what are you talking about? Drugs? You don't do drugs. Why are you asking me? And, And Daniel's like, well, can I drink while I'm on methadone? And the assistant's like, what the fuck are you doing on methadone? Where did you get methadone from? Would you steal it from your mother? And the kids, Daniel says, yeah, I did. I took one. And the assistant's like, no, you shouldn't drink while you're on that stuff. There's, there's, there's other stuff here. There's Coke. Do the Coke instead. Oh, my God. And he said out of the blue, it was like Daniel was a different person from one week to the next where he used to never touch anything and never do anything to all of a sudden now he's doing anything and everything hardcore drugs and alcohol and no one could figure out what the hell like where did this come from even his personality just completely changed overnight good lord now back to anna okay you got daniel over there he's got major problems starting to happen out of the fucking blue pretty much Anna's pregnant and she reaches out to a friend, which is really an assistant, you know, someone on the payroll and says, like, fuck, fuck, fuck. He's trying to get custody. And the friend's like, what? Wait a minute. What are you talking about? And she's like, you know, Larry, he's trying to get custody. He wants custody of the kid. He's saying he wants to fight for custody when the kid is born. I knew he was going to do this. He just wants clout off my name. Ba 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 ba. She's talking about Larry Burkhead. And the friend is explaining how all Anna wanted was a kid. She didn't want to have the man be tied to the kid. She just wanted a baby, right? So, and I think she was clear with Larry Burkhead with that. But nothing was signed. He didn't sign any paperwork or any legal documents saying, here's my sperm, like da-da-da. It was just like a, it was this weird world of like, 
I don't know, girl. It's all... Anyways, and then you got Howard K. Stern, who agrees to pretend that he's the dad, but but he ain't the dad. He is not involved with her in that kind of way. He's just basically on the payroll as the lawyer, and he's also close with her. So he's like, I'll pretend I'm the dad and like I'm the dad, but really you do whatever you want. It's your baby, right? So now she's got a problem because Larry Burkhead's like, you're pregnant. That's my kid. I want rights to my kid. Oh, girl. So all of a sudden, she's like, what could we do? Her fucking Howard K. Stern and some of her assistants and shit, they fly and flee and go to the Bahamas. Because the Bahamas has a weird law where whoever signs the birth certificate when the baby's born, they're the dad. Whether or not DNA-wise, they're the father, biological-wise, if they're there to sign them, they say, I'm the dad, and they sign the birth certificate, that's the dad. That's how that shit works over there. So, you know, she got Howard K. Stern with her, who's a lawyer. So they fly over there, and she's like, I'm having this baby here in the Bahamas. Like, what? Now, I do find, I went back later and, and re-watched a bit of it. She was on methadone while she was pregnant. She had to be on it because she was on this regimen of it. And you can't just stop because it could be deadly, the withdrawals. So she contacts her doctor from the Bahamas saying, I live in the Bahamas now and I only have a few more days or a week worth of methadone. And then what do I do? And he's like, what do you mean you're in the Bahamas? Like, what about your care? Like you're under my care and you can't just stop this medication and I don't practice in the Bahamas. It's not the United States. And what the fuck are you doing? Basically, that's what the doctor was saying to her. So he tries to work out a way to get her the methadone that she needs. I don't know if it was legal or not, but from the U.S., the methadone gets shipped into the Bahamas so Anna can continue to be on methadone because at this point... The doctor says he's worried about the baby because she could, you know, go through withdrawals with could then affect the baby. Girl, I don't know if methadone affects babies when you're on the bit methadone while you're pregnant. Oh, God, I can't. Anyway, so this is going on right around the same time as Anna leaves and she's in the Bahamas. Daniel, her son, who stayed back in California, goes to see the same doctor. And he's like, not in a good place, Daniel. And he's saying, I'm not getting along with my mother. Okay. He's suffering from depression, all this other shit. The doctor puts him on Lexapro, right? Because he's like, he's not in a good way, Daniel. He calls up the doctor, Anna, and says, Daniel isn't okay. Now he's 21 at the time, Daniel. You know, you need to come back here and be here for Daniel. He came to see me. He's not good, right? He's letting the mother know he's not good. And the mom was kind of like, I got a baby to worry about. I'm about to have a baby. Girl, meanwhile, that's her son. Mess. Mess. So the doctor was kind of like, I'm the only one like paying attention to what's going on with this kid because he's got like zero friends. He's got zero family, zero everything. The mother and everybody just up and shipped overnight to Bahamas so the baby would be born in the Bahamas. 
so they could keep custody away from fucking Larry Burkett. This is what's going on. I'm telling you, when I watched this documentary, it went from me like having all the, and I still do feelings for Anna, like feeling bad, to like, what the fuck happened? What the fuck happened? It was like, I got whiplash from it. All right, so next thing that happens. In September of 2006, the bodyguard gets a phone call from Howard K. Stern from the Bahamas saying that Anna gave birth to a bouncing baby girl and they were overjoyed uh, and the bodyguard is so happy because, you know, this is the guy that's he's really close to her. She calls him Momo, this bodyguard. And uh, he also finds out that Daniel is on his way to the Bahamas to go see his mother and his new sister. And he's happy that they're reunited. The doctor gets a call and finds out that Daniel's on his way to the Bahamas to see the mother and the sister. And the doctor in L.A. is like, oh, good. They're reunited. Good. Right? Because the doctor member was worried about Daniel. The day after the sister's birthday, uh, this like a day or two after. So he gets there the next day after she's born. Then that day after he's in the hospital with or in the house, I think. I think she gave birth in the house, something like that. He holds Danny Lynn. There's a picture of him just born. He goes to sleep in a chair. Daniel, and he never wakes up. And healthcare teams are called to come in and, you know, give CPR and they try to do CPR. They do it for 22 minutes and he's never resuscitated. And Daniel Smith dies 48 hours or so after Anna Nicole gives birth to Daniel Lynn, his sister. He's 20, by the way, not 21, 20 years old. And it causes international headlines because it's like, what the fuck happened? Right? Was it an overdose? Was it a suicide? Was it a murder? Some people even thought all three of those. Uh, I don't know if even to this day... It's clear what happens to Daniel. But he tragically dies. Now, we know from the doctor talking about some stuff, from the assistant from the Kylie Minogue party, he was into some shit and he was mixing shit. So no one really knows. But he he dies. Can you believe this shit? I can't. Two days after she has the baby. I didn't realize it was that quick. So Anna, of course, is distraught. Uh, Howard K. Stern calls the bodyguard back and says, you got to come here to the Bahamas. She's screaming, crying out for your name. Anna was crying for Momo, for the bodyguard. You have to remember, Anna has like no family. These people that are on her payroll are her family. So the bodyguard goes out there and he says it was tough times, of course. She just wanted to sleep. She didn't want to be awake. 
She was taken being given sleeping pills and being sedated because when she would wake up, she would just scream and cry for Daniel because she would see Daniel in her dreams. So she never wanted to be awake because when she would be, you know, sleeping and dreaming, she would see her kid again. And Momo, the bodyguard, he's trying to show her the baby and give her the baby, Daniel Lynn. And he said when he would give her the baby, her face would light up, her eyes would light up, she would smile, she would be happy. And he would try to say to her, see, this is why you want to, you need to live because of this little thing right here. So he would try to motivate her. But of course, the pain would be would come on all over again and be too hard to bear. And she would want to just sleep and not be awake and just, you know, understandably so. She was distraught. There was hundreds of paparazzi outside of the house, the gates of the house in the Bahamas. I remember seeing it all over the news 2006. And about a month after Daniel passes, a month after Daniel Lynn is born, Larry Burkhead gets a lawyer and announces that they're going to be fighting for custody that he's the rightful father. <sighs> then they do a press tour. Howard K. Stern is out there telling people like Larry King, he's the father. Do you remember this shit? There was even some guy who was the husband of Zsa, Zsa Gabor, some famous freaking Dutch something, saying he could even bid the father because he sometimes is a bad boy, as he says. So he must have slept with her at some point. He said a lot of people could have probably been the father. Girl, it was a mess. It was a mess. So Howard K. Stern and Anna are saying they didn't get to properly heal from the death of Daniel. Because now a month later, they're dealing with court battlings over custody. Larry Burkhead is like, these people, what they did is illegal. They basically kidnapped my unborn child and went to the Bahamas to purposely with the purposeful intent to try to keep this kid away from me that's the only reason they're even over there because obviously it's my kid and they're trying to keep him from me girl it fucking insanity insanity real quick we went from zero to a million real fucking quick with this right okay so i forgot to mention briefly let's just take a second to mention before Daniel Lynn was born Howard K. Stern and Anna Nicole opened up like a contesting court a probate court for tens of millions of dollars in the Pierce Marshall and J. Howard Marshall probate saying that you know they Anna was owed tens of millions of dollars so they opened up this case to fight this right I forgot to mention that so let me just say that now back to Anna so Four months after, get just get ready. Just take a seat if your ass ain't sitting. Okay. Four months after Larry Burkhead announces to the public that he's going to be fighting for custody of Daniel Lynn. Anna Nicole Smith is in a Hard Rock Casino hotel in Hollywood, Florida. And they get a call, an emergency call, that a blonde white female is unresponsive in the room. They get emergency technician, you know, EMTs to come. 
They try to resuscitate her. They can't. She's pronounced dead. February 8th, 2007, Anna Nicole Smith, five months after giving birth, five months after the death of her son, she's pronounced dead. Worldwide news. Shocking news. I remember watching it live as it went down. I'm sure you did too. Uh, the doctor that had prescribed her the methadone from California and the Lexapro to Daniel, he's immediately under fire because his name is on the prescriptions. And people are like, you give a pregnant woman methadone. Meanwhile, he's like, she was already on it while she got pregnant. You can't just take a person off that. But he's like, they don't understand. So she, he's like, no, I'm not. No comment. People start questioning Howard K. Stern. They see all these prescriptions in his name. Crazy prescriptions. They're like, you're taking all these? What are you doing? Giving them to her? Da, da, da. There's a, everyone's questioning him. Feeding her all these pills. It was a shit show. It was a tragic, terrible shit show. The people closest to her, her bodyguards, some others, they were fucking devastated. The bodyguard is saying she had a bunch of fucking enablers all around her. Not people that would actually help her. A bunch of fucking enablers. And she would often say, the bodyguard would say to them, if you don't get me the pills that I want, I'm going to get somebody who will. This was what went on. (sighs) So, now, right before Anna Nicole Smith died, after the death of 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 Daniel, she did an interview very shortly before she passed away. And in this interview, she gives this scathing like account of how terrible her mother was. How her mother abused her. Raped. She used the word rape in this interview. You can Google the interview. It's out there. Um, just this terrible, how she was this horrible, abusive, beaten person, Right? Like I mentioned before, she had said she would handcuff her to the bed for days at a time and beat her. She was a cop and she was like this tyrant. So as this interview is on TV being aired, the friend from Texas, the fellow friend, the woman, the fellow stripper woman, sees her on this interview telling the story of the mother. And the story she's telling She's like, that's my story of my childhood. That's not Anna's childhood story. I know Anna's childhood story. And what she's saying on the TV right now, ain't it? that's my story. She's taking my childhood story that I confided in her many times of what happened to me as a kid and saying it happened to her. And this woman's like, And Anna had a very nice childhood. Girl, are you ready? Because I don't think none of you are ready. Anna Nicole Smith grew up upper middle class in Houston, Texas. Not Mejia, Texas. She had a good life with a loving mother. The father wasn't there because he was really a piece of shit. But the mother left him because of that. 
The mother was a police officer, but she was an outstanding police officer. And the friend in Houston said many times, the you know, the stripper friend, the mother had to pull them and get them out of trouble because the mother was in law enforcement. She said if it wasn't for, um, they call her Vicky, if it wasn't for Vicky's mother, we would be in prison a few times by now because she got us out of trouble many, many times. And she lived in a really nice house, a three-bedroom, two-car garage. She was treated well. She was this. And the mother would say to her often, Vicky, why are you telling these people you had such a ter- terrible childhood? Why are you lying on us as a family like that? You know it's not true. Why do you do that? And Anna Nicole would say to her, because, Mom, the more I'm in the paper and the more people talk about me, the more money I make. And I don't make a lot of money off good stories. I make a lot of money off bad stories. So the worst shit I could tell, the more money I'm going to make. And that's what it's about for me, making the money. And the mother was like, but don't you care? Aren't you embarrassed that you're making this shit up? Aren't you embarrassed to talk about your life in this way? And this is how you get success? Aren't you embarrassed that you're talking on your family like this when it's not true? She's like, no, it's my life. I could do what I want. And she said her daughter was always that way, even as a kid, would make up crazy stories that weren't true. Remember they said she always liked attention? Yeah, she had her brother on there from her mother saying, I would have to sit here and watch her talk all this bad shit about my mom. None of it's true. I remember watching the family, the cousins, and the, you know, the aunt and uncle that she stayed, you know, a little bit sometimes stayed with whatever. Them, them saying she lies on us, she talks like we're bad, we're not bad. I remember seeing them give interviews to like gossip TV shows and shit. And she's like, they just want money. That they, they were telling the truth. The whole time, Anna Nicole Smith uh, is making it sound like she came from some, from some poor podunk town with no money, was abused, locked in a room, bop, bop, beep, bop, bop, all this shit she said. Girl, None of it was true, other than the fact that she's from Texas and the mother left the father before she was even born because he was a piece of shit. The rest of it ain't true. Loving home. They're showing the family pictures on the wall. The brother's like, oftentimes, like she always kept in touch with us and would talk to my mom behind the scenes, but she'd be telling everybody else she's got an estranged, estranged uh, relationship with my mom like what all for the money so the story she would tell jay howard marshall to get him to get her the money that he said he feels like he was put on this planet to help her have a better life because of the child terrible child bitch it was all a lie she made it up guys this tragic fucking upbringing was made up and so that's what the one doctor told the other doctor. Just watch because she manipulates and she'll manipulate you into giving her more pills. Oh, so two months after her death, Anna Nicole's death, 
Larry Burkhead is awarded custody of Danny Lynn. There's a DNA test done. He's the rightful father. Like he said from the beginning, even though she was trying to say he was some kind of clout chasing, you know, just wants the money. He She hated him. He was no good. Larry Burkhead. He just wants the tens of millions that Danny Lynn might get. It's really his kid. He's probably like, that kid don't stand no chance in that family over there. I want custody of my daughter. And like I said, I witnessed it. I was there at the fucking Alanis in the Bahamas. And he was a fantastic father from what I saw when she was a little girl. She was about two or three years old. Maybe four or something like that. Four years old. Three, four. Girl. Now. The doctor that was given the methadone. Charge, you know, his case was brought up on him. He was acquitted because they found in her system after the toxicology report. Besides the methadone that she was legally being, you know, prescribed for by her doctor, she was she was on nine other prescription meds not prescribed by her doctor. Where she got them from? Oh, she got them from Howard K. Stern because he wasn't acquitted. But the case was later dropped. Why it was dropped, I don't know, against him for supplying her with prescription drugs that she wasn't supposed to be taken. But the case was dropped. I don't know why it was dropped, girl. But that's who did it to her. Howard K. Stern. Giving her all these prescription, fucking nine prescription drugs on top of the methadone. So it was an accidental overdose, her death. She was just on too much shit. At one time. Oh God. Oh, and then. In 2018. Fucking over 10 years later. The Marshall probate case. Finally closes. Over a decade of fighting. Daniel Lynn. Gets. Zero dollars. Not one penny. From the Marshall. Trust. She inherits nothing. But should she? <laughs> should she have? I mean, the mother was married to him, but like, girl, that's the story. That's the story of Anna Nicole Smith. So I was trying to tell it in a way, like how the documentary tells it to kind of like trick you at the end, like it did to me in the beginning. And listen, I have sympathy. It's a terrible, tragic story. Nobody deserves to die like that to live like that but when you find out at the end that so much of her persona of who she tried to portray was fucking a lie now it goes back to the bodyguard who said when she presented Kanye West with that award and she sounded drunk and she messed up the verbiage a little bit he's like she wasn't drunk He's like, she always knew what she was doing. And a lot of times when the cameras would be on and they'd be see paparazzi, she would act drunk or she would act high or she would act messed up because she knew the next day, oh, she seemed drunk. Like she would do that on purpose. He goes, then she'd get in the car with us and be totally fine. So it was part of it, the shtick of it, to get them talking. Oh... Also, I do think part of it was she had to have been fucked up. And she was on a lot of medications. A lot of medications. But 
there you go. That is the story of Anna Nicole Smith. I was just, that threw me for a loop at the end when the friend was like, that. And then the mother's like, we had a great life growing up. They showed the house where she grew up, this nice house. <laughs> like, snore. What? The mother's like, her whole life, she would just tell these stories. I'd always be like, what are you doing? Why are you telling? Why? Why? Oh, no. All right, guys, there you go. Let me know your thoughts on this. I felt like 95% of the documentary, I pretty much knew everything, you know? There was a little thing here and there. I was, it was nothing really new, right? Until the very end when they're like, oh my God. <sighs> so there you go. That's the documentary. You don't know me. Girl, no, we don't. No, we didn't know you, Miss Anna Nicole Smith. Holy Christ. Uh, she's entertaining us from the grave. Oh, my God. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, maybe I will come out with another episode later in the week or over the weekend. We'll do Andy Cohen's. We'll get to him. But I had to tell you about this documentary. I was just so blown away by it. By the way, it's two hours a little over two hours, something like that. If you have Netflix, go ahead and watch it. It was really entertaining. It was really entertaining. A refresher on a lot of the things that happened. Fucking tragic, tragic, tragic shit. Okay. Have a great day. Let me know if he's, if he's had any questions, put it in the message or send me an email. All right. Thanks guys. Bye. Hey guys, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to this episode of the Annoyed Lemon podcast. I truly appreciate all your support. If you wanted to reach out to me, my email is annoyedlemontt at proton.me. You can reach out to me there. You can also reply each episode to the little question that I put attached to the episode. There's a reply button and send me a message there. I cannot reply back, but I will be reading some of these messages in the next episode on the podcast. And I for sure read every single one in private. So you can also support this podcast by sharing it with your friends and family and coworkers. That's probably one of the best ways you can support the podcast if you wanted to. So thank you. And finally, there is a new feature here on Spotify for podcasters called listener support. You can click on that if you feel moved to do so. And that is a monthly monetary amount that you choose that you want to help support the podcast with. And it's totally not necessary, but it's highly appreciated if you choose to do so. And I will give you a shout out personally in the next episode. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much if you choose to do that. So, all right, guys, again, thanks so much for all of your support. I love it. And I love to see where this podcast is going to go in the future. And I'm glad that you're here with me to watch it grow. Thanks.